And we're turning now to God's Word, and uh, if you can get your hands on a Bible, yeah, that would be great. I'm sure Heather would appreciate it if you had a, a Bible, the Word of God open in front of you as she comes and speaks with us uh, from God's Word in a moment or two. And it's on, let me just tell you where it is, it's on page 1213, because I know that James is a little thin book, and you, uh, if you're anything like me, you're kind of, so it's on page 1213 uh, of the Church Bibles, 1213, and we're reading from James chapter 1. James writes this, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be, be, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind." That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all that he does. The brother in humble circumstances ought to take pride in his high position. But the one who is rich should take pride in his low position because he will pass away like a wild flower. For the sun rises with scorching heat and withers the plant. Its blossom falls and its beauty is destroyed. In the same way, the rich man will fade away even while he goes about his business. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Amen. And God will bless the reading of his word to our hearts this evening. Heather. Uh, well, tonight we're looking at the book of James, but before we actually look at the passage that Gary has read, I thought I would just tell you a bit of background about the author and also about the book. Um, it's commonly accepted that the book of James was written by James, the half-brother of the Lord Jesus, and yet one of the first things we read about Jesus' brothers is that they didn't believe in him. But things changed, and by the start of the book of Acts, they're listed along with Mary, worshipping alongside Jesus' first disciples. Following the resurrection, Jesus appeared to James, and it wasn't long after that that he became very prominent in the first Christian church in Jerusalem. Various references in the book of Acts tell us that he was a man of great authority. Apparently, his nickname was James the Just. Um, he was known for the amount of time that he prayed, and they actually said that he had camel's knees from the amount of time he spent kneeling in prayer. Tradition tells us that he died as a martyr in AD 62. Apparently, he was thrown from the temple wall. He was stoned and beaten to death. The book of James itself, it's a very punchy type of a book. It's very direct in its style. It's, it's thought to be one of the first New Testament books that was written in about AD 49, and he tackles various aspects of Christian living. You'll all be familiar with what he says about the tongue and how the tongue is very hard to tame. He talks about um, how we should speak, how we should approach wealth or the lack of wealth, and how to approach conflict, sickness, and suffering. 
Although the emphasis of the book isn't theological, Martin Luther was said to have dismissed it as an epistle of straw. It does have moral and te- moral teaching and ethical teaching that is very relevant for us uh, on day-to-day living. He talks about practical Christianity. Our title tonight for the talk is Genuine Faith, and that is really what the book of James is all about. We also might ask ourselves, where does James fit into the big picture of the Bible, creation, the fall, redemption, restoration? Well, James is regarded as a New Testament wisdom literature, the same sort of style as the Old Testament literature, wisdom literature, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, the book of Job. Um, so that's the kind of style that it was written in. And if you just look at verse 1 there, which is the greetings, where it says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when I was reading that, I was really struck by the fact that James, who all his life had called Jesus brother, there he refers to himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no boasting about his relationship with Jesus in a special way. He's very, very humble, and it just makes us think that maybe sometimes we can be maybe a bit casual in how we approach the Lord Jesus. Yes, he's our friend, but he's also the sovereign Lord, and and it just challenges about behaving towards him too casually. Um, Also, there was others in the Old Testament who referred to um, themselves as a servant of God, Joshua, for instance, and Moses. But James goes beyond that and he says, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. In the early church, there was a real emphasis on making sure that Jesus was presented as equal with God. And that is just what James is doing here. He's saying a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says who the uh, the letters addressed to. It's the 12 tribes scattered abroad among the nations. These were the Christian Jews dispersed throughout the Roman Empire. Jewish Christians enduring persecution simply because they were Christians. And as you know, that persecution continues on today. Christians, especially overseas, in the like of Eritrea, North Korea, Somalia, undergo really tough times. And even here, there can be a measure of persecution. We've probably all been following the case of Asher's Bakery, And I was interested to read not so long ago, Daniel MacArthur had posted on Facebook saying that through this very difficult situation, Jesus Christ has been with them every step of the way. And I heard a similar thing one time from Canon Andrew White, who's known as the Vicar of Baghdad. When he spent time in Iraq, he said, when you have nothing, Jesus Christ is everything. James then goes on in verse 2 following to talk about trials and temptations. And he says something rather amazing. He says, consider it pure joy when you fall into trials. I don't know about you, but whenever trials hit me, my first reaction is to panic and then to really start to seriously worry about things. But James is saying that that's not the way. That we have to think about trials a bit like when we had tests and exams at school. They were a way of measuring what we had learnt and whether we had learnt what we really should have. And James is saying here that we're not uh, to run away from testing, but we are to have a different kind of attitude towards it. And, you know, sometimes the Lord can send trials our way in order to get our attention. We can be so busy living very hectic, fast-paced lives that sometimes he has to stop us in our tracks and make us look up to him. 
In verses 3 and 4, it says that trials teach us to persevere. They put us into a situation where it's not easy to keep going and where we will only do so with a measure of determination. But that perseverance is a means to a wonderful end because verse 4 says that we will not lack anything. Can you imagine living a life where you do not lack anything? You know, Paul says something similar in his letter to Romans in chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, where he says, We also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. James is talking about being fully rounded and formed as a Christian, growing into the very kind of people we were created and saved to be. And in fact, we can't get there without trials. It's how the Christian life works. God's not interested in just a little bit of change in our lives when we become Christians, not a bit of tidying up and rubbing off the rough rough edges. As 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, we become a new creation, something completely different. And when we think about trials, we tend automatically to think about Job. Um, As you know, Job was a righteous man, and one day Satan asked God for permission to make things difficult for Job. And God gave Satan that permission, but he said, you are not to touch, take his life. And Job basically lost everything. He lost his family, his children. He lost his livelihood, his animals, his possessions, and his health. At one stage, his wife said to him, why don't you curse God and die? But Job wouldn't listen to her. And there's some beautiful verses in Job where he says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. And when I was thinking about Job, I was thinking this. Job had no idea that the end of his trials was going to be better even than the beginning. He didn't know that when he was going through it. He also didn't know that he was part of something cosmic that was happening. That at one stage there was a, a talk in heaven between God and Satan. And Job didn't realize that thousands of years later, we would be reading a book of his name and that we would be talking about him. And I think sometimes when we go through difficulties, we're so focused in on the difficulties that we do not realize that there is a whole picture going on, a whole spiritual realm that we don't know anything about. And throughout the Bible, not just Job, but many people turn defeat into victory and trial into triumph. Instead of being victims, they became victors. And James tells us that we can have that same experience today. And I know it's easy to say that and that some people can be going through some really, really difficult times. I talked with a couple this week whose family's been absolutely torn apart and it's affecting their health. But there is only one way through those difficulties and that is in, through, in and through the Lord Jesus and depending on him. James tells us that there are four essentials for victory in trials. The first one is a joyful attitude, and that is very different to the human view of suffering. Whenever we get trials from a human point of view, uh, the trials can prompt sadness, they can prompt despair, bitterness, or anger. At best, we grit our teeth and aim to get through them, and at worst, we simply give up. But James is telling us too that whenever we face trials, because they shouldn't be unexpected because they're part and parcel of the regular Christian life, the believer who expects the Christian life to be easy is in for a shock. Jesus told his disciples, in the world you will have tribulation. 
Paul told his converts in Acts 14 that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. James talks of many kinds of trials. We can't always expect things to go our own way, even though we'd like that. Um, Some trials come simply because we're human. Sickness, accidents, disappointments, even tragedies. But there is a way to think about these times of suffering that will bring joy. Uh, But just a word of caution, not all tests come from the Lord. Sometimes we can bring about um, trials in our own lives because we move out from under God's protection, we deliberately disobey him or we commit some sort of sin. For instance, if you are in work and you defraud the company and you lose your job and bring financial hardship to your family, you have nobody to blame but yourself. But the wonderful thing is that even when we do things that are wrong, even when we turn away from the Lord, he is always there to forgive us if we truly repent. And he's the God of not just the first chance, but the second and the third chance. Other trials do come because we're Christians. A couple of years ago, a friend of mine read a verse in the book of Nahum, and it said, the one who breaketh in pieces has come before your face. And for that lady, it began a period of two years where she went through intense depression and at times suicidal thoughts. Now, this was a lady who was involved up to her neck in Christian activities. And she went through those two years. She's come out the other end, but it has not been easy. And she does not understand why it happened. But Satan does fight us when we're Christians. The world opposes us, and that makes for a life of battle. There may come times in your Christian life when Satan turns up the heat so much that you feel like giving up. But, you know, that can generally be when you're on the verge of a breakthrough or a time of blessing. And if you are going through tough times, never forget that God has promised that you will never be tried beyond what you're able to endure. And I just want to share an illustration with you from the Every Home Crusade. Um, We work with um, an organization called Children's Vision in Bogota in Colombia. They have three children's homes, they have a school, and they also do medical missions for people who have absolutely no chance of treatment any other way. But two years ago, one of their employees took a grudge against them, and they reported them to the, the Colombian authorities. The Colombian authorities then began to go through children's vision with a fine-tooth comb. They took some of the children that they had been looking after, they took them away from them, and they just made things incredibly difficult. And at one stage, things were so hard and so bad that Richard and Janine, who run children's vision, actually thought they were going to have to fold the whole thing up. It was just so bad. But they persevered, and at the end of that time, the Colombian authorities came to them and they said, we can find nothing wrong with your organization. In fact, it's an excellent organization. And they returned the children to them that they had taken away. And, you know, the amazing thing now is that the Colombian authorities work with Children's Vision. They have given them help. They they provide the Colombian army to airlift them into remote parts of Colombia to do their medical missions. In June, the Peruvian Marines, the Colombian Army, are taking a team from Children's Vision into a remote part of the Amazon where they will be working with people who have never heard the gospel of Jesus and they will be giving them medical care and also using our literature to reach them. Uh, Although these are tribal people, there will be those who will be able to speak Spanish to them. 
And Richard Saunderson from Children's Vision was with us a couple of weeks ago. And I could just see how he has really grown. He probably doesn't see it. But the joy of the Lord was so marked in his life. They went through that period of testing. But it was as if the Lord was saying, are you ready for more blessing in your life? Are you ready for more um, responsibility? And they had to go through that very difficult time. So the first thing we need is a joyful attitude. And the second thing then is an understanding mind. Uh, James chapter 1 verse 3. What does God want to produce in our lives? Patience, endurance, and the ability to keep going when things are tough. God wants to make us patient because that's actually the key to every other blessing. When a believer learns to wait on the Lord, then the Lord can do great things for them. Abraham, Abraham, as you know, he ran ahead of God. He had a child with Hagar. He brought great sorrow to his home and also to subsequent generations. Moses ran ahead of God, he murdered the Egyptian, and he had to spend 40 years as a shepherd in the desert. You know, the only way that God can develop patience and character in our lives is through trials. Endurance cannot be attained by reading a book or even by praying. We have to go through the difficulties of life. We have to trust God and we have to obey him. And the result will be patience and character. Character. And knowing this, when we know this and when it's actually a part of our life, then we can face trials with a sense of joy. There's actually a group of people who really inspire me, and they are the Christians in India. India, as probably many of you know, is um, under a man now, the Prime Minister's a man called Mr Modi, and his stated aim is that India will be an entirely Hindu country by 2022. He wants it for Hindus only. Now, they have about a a population of 10% who is probably Muslim, and they say that the evangelical population is only 3%. That's actually not the case. It's closer to 5% to 6%. But they're making things difficult, and we who have been sending literature into India for years are finding that. Um, A couple of months ago, one of our containers, when the authorities went through it, they found there was a lot of flashcards Uh, the story of Amy Carmichael. Um, India Bible literature reached 300,000 boys and girls every year in their holiday Bible clubs, and these flashcards would be used then. But there was a picture of a map of India on one of the pages, and the authorities took exception to that. The upshot of it is we can no longer send in flashcards, children's flashcards. They've also stopped us sending in good quality second-hand Bibles and books, which were a real help to evangelists. They say that they don't want the West's second-hand stuff. But in the midst of that, the Indian um, IBL said they are just happy that they've still got their license to import the literature. And the evangelists are going out every day, two by two, on bicycles. Some days they go into a village where they're very well received. Other days they're given a beating and thrown out. Next day they're back on the bicycles and away again. A man, a pastor that I'm in contact with in Chennai, he's absolutely fearless. He writes to say, when they burn down two churches, we build four. If they burn down four, we build eight. These are people who are actually living out James 1 on a daily basis. So a a joyful attitude, an understanding mind, and thirdly, a surrendered will. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. His goal for our lives is maturity. And he builds character before he calls us to service. 
He has to work in us before he can work through us. Um, He spent 25 years working in Abraham before he, he could give him his promised son. God worked for 13 years in Joseph's life with much testing before making him the second command in the land of Egypt. And he also spent 80 years preparing Moses for 40 years of service. He's infinitely patient with us, but if necessary, he will repeat the same trial over and over in our lives until we begin to get the message. And we also need then, fourthly and finally, to have a believing heart. Um, it, It talks here about asking for wisdom. And when we're going through difficulties that God permits in our lives, we should pray for wisdom. Not strength so much, grace or deliverance as I would be praying for, but wisdom. Wisdom so that we'll not waste the opportunities that God is giving us to mature. And we're also to ask in faith because the greatest enemy to answered prayer is unbelief. And you know, we live in a fallen world, many, many people needing to hear the gospel. And God is looking for mature men and women to carry on his work. And sometimes he finds us as Christians very immature, maybe not able to get along with one another, maybe insisting on getting on our own ways. But it is also essential that, first of all, we're born again. First, we cannot have spiritual growth without spiritual birth. So if you're here tonight and you do not know the Lord Jesus, that is really the first thing before there can be any spiritual growth in your life. Some of the things about this wisdom that we notice are that God gives generously, he gives to all, and he gives without finding fault. And um, if you're here tonight and finding life incredibly tough, just one thing that I would say, that the ability to sit back in times of confusion and admit that although you have no idea of what God is doing, but that you trust him and that you can, is one of the greatest spiritual strengths you can possess. That really is genuine faith. And in verse, verse 12 it says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life. Um, it is the devil who comes to de- seek to destroy. The Lord has come that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. And all of us will go through times of trial, but he is the one that we can turn to. And I just want to finish by reading two verses from an old hymn that really sum up um, what we've been thinking about. It's that hymn called How Firm a Foundation. And one of the verses says this, When through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, my grace all-sufficient shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee, I only design thy dross to consume and thy gold to refine. And then the last verse. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavour to shake I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. So if you're going through difficulties tonight, just remember those words there, that the Lord will never, never forsake you. Thank you very much, and I'm going to hand back to Gary.